Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house, but could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell, and great was the ruin of that house. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, just a couple of words while um, we go ahead and get some things rearranged up here. I don't think we make quite enough of the stained glass here, but I will tell you how I experience um, in these, these glasses. I noticed this one, and I will always remember noticing this one when we baptized our two kids, infant baptisms, and, and I noticed that window. This one over here, when we made the decision, uh, and, and the words of my friend Ron Wright are always ringing in my ear when we made the decision to go to a weekly Eucharist moment, it was this window. And yeah, it's totally, it's totally all good for you to t- take a look at all these windows, right? Uh, it was this one uh, that I has kind of burned into my imagination. You all, that window has a special significance for me and has a little bit of a story to it. Now, that was is Jesus with children. That window was purchased by a, well, the money was donated to purchase it by a man who no longer attends. That window screams pain to me for a couple of reasons. (laughs) One, um, it was pain that motivated this man to buy that window for the church. Uh, and, and that man's life just seems to be marked by all kinds of pain. And so that window, to me, is as wonderful as it is that it, it has to do with kids' ministry. And I was, th- you know, Mike and I were talking not too long ago. One of the first things I talked about when I became your pastor was like, okay, prayer and kids' ministry. Was, was, and so that, I noticed that too. But that window also is representative of the pain that I know that people feel inside but also outside of the building. And then there's this one. And I'm going to uh, tell a story here. You're not going to be able to unsee what I'm about to tell you. Ready? <laughs> Everybody knows, somebody knows what I'm going to say. We treasure Dr. Mark Riegert around here. And not too long ago, he said, I just love this picture of Jesus stepping on all those potatoes. <laughs> Love that for so many reasons. Now, in my mind, this is, this is sort of the, the parable of the, the 99 sheep and the one lost sheep, right? So it's the parable of the 100 sheep, actually. 
In my mind, that's what's, what this window depicts. So here we are in Epiphany, and I am talking to you a lot about, uh, yes, Epiphany, the surprise of God, right? But also how this is a particular time of year when we are not only asked to, but we are actually also equipped to be evangelists, right? The hundredth sheep, and again, this is my imagination doing something here, Jesus the good shepherd, good enough to go and, and find that hundredth sheep. Man, that hundredth sheep has a story to tell, right? That, that hundredth sheep um, has a valuable story to tell. The 99 sheep that stayed in the pen, it's great, right? I, I, but I think that the testimony of the hundredth sheep does more to expand the kingdom than the pride of the 99 who didn't get out of the pen. Fair? Here's the thing. The hundred sheep also experienced life on the very, very far margin, right? Nearly so far, to the, so close to the edge, almost kind of fell off the edge, if not for a rescuing God. Our passage of Scripture that we read today um, is an important passage of Scripture, for a lot of different reasons. Now, we're going to get into, this is our Lenten sermon series, and I hope you'll be here Wednesday night. Uh, my friend Cody is going to be right about, well, about here, and I'm going to be down there, and he's going to be doing some, some charcoal sketching for us throughout the season of Lent, and we're going to sketch the differences between us and Jesus and confess them throughout the season of Lent. This passage of Scripture, though, is so important. It's read very well already. I just want to kind of walk us through a couple of things before moving on to the best part of the sermon today, which won't be me. Um, Jesus seems to be saying, it is one thing to hear the words of faith. It is one thing to hear the call of Christ to a life of faith, a life of discipleship. It is an entirely different thing to actually do what you have heard. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house. Living in a home is a pretty common experience for so many, for so many of us. I know not everybody, but living in a home, I think this is part of the genius of Jesus, that Jesus uses words and images pictures that are largely, at least, given to common experience so that we all have some idea of how to get into the story, right? This is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid the foundation on rock. Those are always going to be the best kinds of, of buildings. When a flood arose, the river burst against that house but could not shake it because it had been well built. This is a total aside. When the big earthquake happened in Haiti, one of the very few buildings that was left standing in Port-au-Prince was one that was built by, designed by and built by, Walt Crow. Walt Crow. Uh, Bel, Air, Bel Air Church of the Nazarene, which I don't know, does it still have a medical clinic in it, Debbie? Yeah. So Oklahoma City First Church helped to put a clinic into this building that Walt Crow built because it was one of the last ones standing. You know why? Because the foundation was good. Right? Foundation was good. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the river burst against it, immediately it fell 
and great was the ruin of that house. Okay, the constant is the rain that becomes a storm that threatens the house. Again, Christianity cannot be told like this. It is not the way to live so that bad things don't happen to you. Man, there is not a more dangerous lie out there, I don't think. Okay, two of us believe that deeply. (laughs) There's not a more dangerous lie out there. In fact, in fact, to tell that lie is to opt out of what I think might be the greatest resource of faith. Wait a minute, John. Isn't the point of faith dying and going to heaven? No. It's a reality. I, I, I mean, I, I believe in that. I do. I believe in the hereafter. And I believe that we all should make decisions that do something to accomplish something in the hereafter. But folks, the rain's coming. The rain's coming. The streams, the rivers are going to rise. And your house is going to be confronted by the rain and the rising stream, the rising river. Faith will go a long way in determining whether or not you make it today. Christianity is not a way to navigate around the hard things of life. That's dishonest. Christianity is a way that we weather the storm. And so pain is another commonality we have as human beings. Is it possible that you underappreciate the extent to which your pain could be a tool in the hands of God to reach somebody else, another human being, who inevitably will experience pain? I want to suggest this to you. We're still talking about epiphany. We're still talking about evangelism. But today, hear me say this. Given the opportunity, I believe God can work in and through your storms and the pain that results when the river goes beyond its banks and afflicts your house, your household, your very existence. That is very painful. Just ask the hundredth sheep, right? But man, doesn't that sheep have a story to tell? Man, don't those people who perhaps suffered great pain in life, might they also have a story to tell that someone needs to hear? Yeah, because life sometimes is really hard. And the Christians aren't the ones in the room who are saying, there's probably a reason. I mean, you've done something to upset God. The Christians are the ones who say, be right here with you. I will sit with you. The storm is not an indication of whether or not God loves you. Your faith will establish you. All right. Pause button. Uh, We're not going to have that annual meeting today, okay? We're not going to have the membership ceremony. I am hereby announcing that we're going to have it next week, 
because uh, we are not who we normally are, and I think uh, the weather would sort of uh, disproportionately disadvantage certain segments of our population, so we're not going to have that meeting today. The good news is we get to have a great conversation, a great conversation. And so I'm going to get some help to rearrange the platform a little bit. I'm going to ask my friends Stephen and Tamara to go ahead and come on up. Yep, you can give them a hand. That's fine. <laughs> I'll sit on this side, and then I will have them kind of on the other side. See how I, this is why I wanted you to have a good place to sit. Uh, here we go. Yeah. Kind of like work okay um, one of the best things I get to do as your pastor is teach a class that meets over there in that corner just love that bunch of people um, and this is one of the couples that was uh, great motivation to me to, to not only get that class going, but to stick with it. I think that's going to be the class that I teach, you know. Um, and as you know, and as you know, uh, Tamara and Stephen have had a, a, a difficult few weeks and months. And so, with their permission, and by the way, they'll tell you, at several points along the way, I have said, you guys bail. Last minute's fine. I mean, you can bail right now if you wanted to, actually. We'd figure it out. Um, but I've told them, it doesn't, it doesn't have to happen now or ever, and they have consistently said, no, we have a story to tell. We have a story to tell. But some of you may not know, and so I'm just going to kind of walk you through a little bit of an interview, and there'll be some back and forth here, and, and they've come prepared with notes and all that kind of thing. So for the folks who may not know what has gone on, can you kind of tell us what has happened? Yes. So... Um... For those of you who don't know, I recently suffered a late-term miscarriage. On February 1st, I gave birth to my son, um, and I was 16 weeks pregnant. I'm going to walk you through the day of finding out about our miscarriage and, and through the birth. Um, I found out at my 16-week doctor's appointment. They went to check the heartbeat, and... For minutes, that seemed like years. They couldn't find one. Um, ultimately, the nurse said, we need to get a doctor and, and do an ultrasound. So at that point, my stomach was in a knot, but I was trying to be optimistic, and I, I called Stephen. Yeah, and I, I dropped everything, got over to the doctor's office as soon as I could, and just asked which room Tamara was in, and the look on the nurse's face, um, I could tell... Uh, this was serious. Yeah. So uh, Stephen walked in right as we started the ultrasound, and immediately we saw the baby on the screen. And I was just frantically searching the monitor, hoping to see a heartbeat or anything, hoping to see some kind of movement. And um, the doctor just started tapping my stomach and saying, wake up, baby, wake up, baby. And we just knew baby was not going to be waking up at that point. And the, the doctor grabs my hand and, and puts it on Tamara's hand, and it's just like this symbolic moment of like, this is going to be really hard, and you got to do this together. So we asked the doctor, we said, um, 
okay, where do we go from here? She said, you'll need to come back at 8 o'clock, and I'll deliver your baby. And we were shocked that we actually had to come back to the hospital and labor and deliver. Um, So 8 o'clock rolls around. We go to the hospital. And I walk through the waiting room of all the families waiting for babies to be born, knowing that I'd be walking out of that waiting room empty-handed. I was admitted, went through the whole nine yards, and, and we were about to start the medication to induce labor. And literally just like 30 seconds before we were about ready to start the process, I, I was just in denial, and I just... I just mustered up the courage to ask the nurse. I was like, can we check one more time? He said it had been several hours, and I just was holding on for this hope. Uh, And um, they came in, did another ultrasound, and that last little bit of hope uh, was gone. So I labored through the night and gave birth in the morning. And so... Uh, I know already you had folks reaching out, messaging you. I don't, I don't know what, what impact all that had. I think you'll, you'll get to that in a second. But you, when I came to your home, you told an incredible story about the time that you were able to spend with Andrew post-delivery. Yeah. Um, it, it's memories that I will cherish for the rest of my life. The, the couple of minutes, hour that I got to spend with my son, we just admired his tiny little toes and tiny little fingers, and he already had a strong brow and a square chin, just like his dad. Yeah, when, when I found out that we had a boy... It hurt, it hurt really bad. And just like, imagine like a movie scene, like all the memories that could have been just playing through my mind. So we named him Andrew because that's Stephen's middle name. And it's a reason that our son's name will be spoken and he will be remembered for the rest of our lives. But one of the most important and great memories that I will cherish forever is singing to Andrew. Um, When Hazel was young, my grandmother said, you should write a prayer and set it to a song, and so you can sing it over Hazel as she falls asleep every night, Um, because that's what she did for her babies. And so I, I had done that for Hazel, and it's called the Hazel Song, and we sing it, and Hazel's sings along with me now, and it's one of the most beautiful things to share with with my daughter. And I was already really looking forward to writing another song, another prayer for my baby. Um, And then in a span of a couple of hours, my baby was here, and I didn't have a song to sing him. And so I chose to uh, to sing Castle on a Cloud from Les Mis, which is uh, Hazel's favorite song. 
in the lyrics, if you're not familiar with the song, say, there's a castle on a cloud, and there is a lady all in white. She sings to me a lullaby. She's nice to see, and she's nice to touch. And she says, Andrew, I love you very much. I know a place where no one's lost. I know a place where no one cries. Crying at all is not allowed. Not in my castle on a cloud. In just that image of the lady in white being God and holding my baby, saying, Andrew, I love you very much. And that Andrew's not lost. He's not crying. That has given me significant comfort in and every time now I sing that song, I imagine my baby with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. When we say what we do about faith being about the here and now, that is not to the exclusion of the hereafter. We are people of faith. And uh, we believe that God is larger than life, than our lives. So we believe those things. Another thing that struck me as I talked with both of you, I mean, we were all very emotional, but the word gratitude came up so often that it, it finally, it struck me. So we have, we have said today, we have heard from Scripture that the, the rain is coming. The storms are coming that are going to cause the river to overflow its banks. Your home is going to be confronted by these floodwaters, and that happened to you. You were the 1%. And I, you know, I was thinking about this today. We talked about you, all, you guys being the 1%, and you, you can explain what that means. But so was the, the 100 sheep was the 1%. So talk about the significance of that number, the 1%. Well, when we lost baby Andrew, I mean, it was the most difficult thing I ever thought. A lot of tears coming in waves all the memories that, that could have been. But I heard from God in this time through Larry Bennett. Jason went to visit Larry and LaDonna a couple of days before LaDonna's passing away. Jason told Larry that he had just or J Jason told Larry that we had just lost baby Andrew. Larry burst into tears and told Jason that they had lost a baby at seven months, and it was the darkest day of his life. Remembering the pain, Larry told Jason how he felt alone during that time and wanted to make sure I was cared for and loved. Here, here a man hours from losing his wife who gave me the time and love of words to embrace the pain of losing a son. Larry gave me the permission to grieve, the permission to cry, the permission to acknowledge that I lost a son. I felt God in this moment. I was no longer alone. Andrew has given Tamara and I a great gift, the gift of bringing Tamara and I closer, the gift of cherishing life, 
The gift of knowing people are good and we are loved. The gift of God's love, the gift of grace, the gift of flowers, and the gift of a grief that has softened my heart and expanded my love for others. A few folks will say it's not fair. It shouldn't have happened this way. There was only a 1% chance. That's not my perspective. Andrew has gifted me something few will ever have. A bond with my wife that is deeper than I ever thought possible. And an opportunity, and an opportunity to see how close God had been pursuing me. This bond and new perception of God's love is going to shape how I love Hazel, how I love our next child, how I love others. Andrew's short time with me has made the biggest impact on my life, and for that I'm grateful. I feel the change. Yes, I'm sadder than I ever thought possible, but Andrew's life will live on through my new love for family, friends, and others. I came back to church, and I looked up, and I saw the stained glass window of God holding the lost sheep. There was a 1% chance of losing Andrew. Looking at the stained glass window, I'm reminded that God cares for the 1%. I see Jesus embrace the lost sheep. He holds Andrew. He holds Tamara and I. He holds those, all those on the margins. I now see the stained glass as my calling, a beacon to those on the margins the brokenhearted, those folks two and a half st standard deviations from the mean. <laughs> I used to live my life by the law of averages. The pain, the heartache, the loneliness of being the 1% has forever changed how I see the world. Yeah, I want to hear it because I know what you're going to say and we got to have it. I want to tell you that Stephen and I have had such good conversations about what faith is and what is and what faith isn't. And in the midst of our conversations, Stephen has asked some really good questions and has articulated doubt so well, because you can't. You can articulate doubt really well, and Stephen has. And Stephen has been so honest about his desire his desire to be a person of faith, but at times that desire has to acknowledge that you don't feel like a person of faith. And what strikes me is the gift that Larry gave you was the gift of Larry's pain. In the midst of Larry's pain. And there's a real sense in which the gift of Larry Bennett's pain evangelized you. I don't guess there's really a question in there. I was just wanted to say all that, okay. <laughs> all right, so, so both of you, so this, this passage of scripture is frustratingly devoid of specifics and details because a lot of us, especially folks who live lives by numbers and, and that kind of thing, we wanna know, okay, what are the steps in the process? Give me the equation whereby Jesus, please, that I can build this foundation. But you don't, you don't have that here. But what we do have, we have the testimonies of people. So, Tamara, if I were to ask you, 
you have demonstrated uh, the constant is the rain and the flood and the flood waters that will uh, confront your house and your house stands. And so if I were to ask you, how have you built that foundation, what would you say? Well, it helps being on staff, being surrounded by wonderful pastors weekly who just speak into my life. But one of the main things that I have been able to fall back on is spiritual direction. And I've been a part of spiritual direction for six years now. Um, Would you tell us what that is just yeah. for people who may not know? So I meet with Sue Ann Lively um, every month. And we sit together for an hour and we talk about life and the ways that God is there in all of it. And um, so for six years, every month, Sue Ann has asked me this question, where, where have you seen God? Mm-hmm. And I remember at the beginning of Spiritual Direction, I had a pretty tough time. I'd be like, well this happened, it's pretty mundane, and she'd say, where did you see God? And I'd be like, well, I don't really know. Um, And she told me this story about one of her friends who had a really bad flu, and she asked her friend, where did you see God? And her friend said, God was in the tissues. And it just changed how I looked for and how I saw God. And so over these six years, I've trained myself to always be looking to the tissues, to the sunlight, to anything that would reveal God's glory in my life, reveal God's mercies. Any good thing I've trained myself to recognize is a gift from the hand of God. So when this happens, this is not a good thing. This is not a gift from the hand of God. But I was able to see mercies by mercies by mercies all throughout the whole experience where God said, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to meet you in this place. I'm going to meet you in this place. I'm going to meet you in this place. And um, it was muscle memory. Hmm. It was muscle memory. It just was natural. It was second nature to find God everywhere. And you all can't afford us to hear this as any kind of an advertisement, not for spiritual direction, but it strikes me that that was layered on top of some other things that you both have been involved in. I mean, disciple, mm-hmm. right? A Stephen ministry class where you get to sit with people like Ken and Margaret Murray, who for, I think, 50 hours taught you how to sit with people in pain yeah. that has to have had some sort of impact too, right? Oh, absolutely. Just um, formation, spiritual formation that this church has provided us. Um, it, it's just, um, you don't know how much you need it until you need it, hmm. you know? And, and again, not an advertisement. It's really not. You're just going to have to trust me. It's really not. But when you hear it said from this platform, and it's been said for a long time, prior to my being here, we don't, we don't do these things. We don't do a Stephen ministry class. We don't do spiritual direction. We don't, we don't do disciple in order to 
make God happier with us, to improve somehow our, our standing in God's sight. We don't take communion. We don't sing in order to help God to feel better about us. We do these things to be more understanding and appreciative of the grace that's all around us so that we can finally see God. It doesn't change God's mind about us, but it can over a period of time, sometimes when you intend for it to, and sometimes maybe when you don't, it can change your mind about God, which is kind of your experience, right? Yeah. And, you know, for me, I was honestly surprised by my reaction um, to, to all of this. Um, losing Andrew over the past several years, I mean, I've been wrestling with faith uh, several times, you know, not thinking God was real, almost an agnostic uh, perspective in my thinking, putting most of my faith and trust in career, money, family. You know, for me, it's obvious, you know, when I try to save money for an, an emergency account, um, I can see the money go in. I trust that it will be there when the storm comes. It, it wasn't so obvious to me that I was building a strong foundation in faith by wrestling with the tough questions, practicing vulnerability through counseling, reading books by Brene Brown, Ryan Holiday, through friendships, leaning into disciple, years of celebrate recovery, or just showing up on Sunday, even though oftentimes I'd rather just sleep in and save my tithe money. <laughs> I was closer to God than I realized. I hate that I had to find out this way. But I'm now more con I'm convinced more than ever that God works through the wrestling, through the daily grind, and is not limited to the halls of the church to help you build a strong foundation. The more I reflect, I no longer see a divide between the secular and God. God is present in the world and can use far more things to advance the kingdom than I realized. Ugh. Thank you for being willing. This is who is leading us in worship. That seems right. Um, in our Sunday school class back here, we've been off and on telling stories for Six years <laughs> telling these stories. And a lot of those stories give people an opportunity to give voice to, man, I don't know. I don't know what I believe. I don't believe what I used to believe. And I'm not sure where I am or where I'm headed. And it, I, I think part of that is a necessary part of the process. Um, as you all may know, one of my favorite movies to teach faith is The Karate Kid, right? Where the little guy is doing the same thing over and over and over, and he doesn't realize in the course of doing the same thing over and over and over, he is building muscle memory that is then put into practice when it's needed. And that is so much of what we're trying to do around here. And we're very grateful 
I, I'm just going to say it like you have said it. We're very grateful that you have navigated your pain the way you... Not grateful for what happened, but grateful for the ways in which you have testified in the process. And I believe today have evangelized someone in the process. We love you both. Can we give them a hand? So I leave you with this um, before we head to the table. I think we ought to figure out a way to make that light, make that window available to our city all night long. Um, because I think if you're in the 1% for whatever reason, you may be in the 1% in the middle of the night driving past Oklahoma City First Church. <laughs> And what if that person in the 1% who feels most marginalized, what if that person looks up in time to see Jesus carrying the 1%? Um, I've asked a few folks who know more about it than I do uh, anymore with LED lighting and that kind of thing. I don't think we're talking about uh, thousands and thousands of dollars. It may be somewhere around 1,000. If you'd be interested in helping us, though, to do that specific thing, to help us to somehow wire up in here so that a light would come on and project the gospel to Northwest Expressway in the middle of the darkest night. If you'd like to help us do that, you just need to let me know. You just need to let me know. And now it's time to work on our muscle memory. So if you are helping us, would you please come to the table? And I, wanna, I want to couch this again as we've already heard it couched so beautifully. There are things that we do in the process of being Christian. There are some of these rituals that shape us in ways that we may not understand in the moment. This would be one of those rituals, I believe. And maybe you do. Maybe you are fully aware of all that God is doing in and through a Eucharistic moment where we are practicing gratitude here. Maybe you do. But even if you don't, God is doing something. God is doing something. And so, Heavenly Father, bless these elements and bless these, all of these moments. I pray, God, that you would help us to sense and see what it is that we are doing as we receive the bread and the cup. But until then, God, even if we can't today, articulate or articulate very well what it is that you're doing in a Eucharistic moment. At least give us the deep sense that you know what you're doing in this moment as we participate. God, we're grateful for stories like Larry Bennett's. Grateful for the life of LaDonna Bennett. In these moments, God, we're grateful for the pain that Larry and LaDonna have been through because it has been, in one way or another, used by you to reach another life, another family. God, we're grateful for Stephen and Tamara. We're grateful for the ways that you have been able to work in and through them to demonstrate that you are not absent, but that perhaps... You are most reliably present in the storm. 
And now, God, as we take these elements representing a pain, suffering, broken body, shed blood, may they be tangible reminders today of your grace that comes to us in the darkest hour, in the darkest hour. And then, God, may we allow ourselves to be used to be the tangible expression of your heart for the 1% for that person who may feel like 1% around us. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pews to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped. As you approach someone holding a plate of bread, that someone will take off, will break off a piece and place it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, though. Dip it into the cup. When you do dip it into the cup, that person will say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat, and then, if you would, find a place to pray. And that might be at one of these side padded altars where we will recognize that you have come for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there and anoint you with oil representative of the, the tangible stickiness of the Holy Spirit, the companionship of God. And that can be a prayer for physical healing, relational healing, emotional healing. Any kind of prayer for healing will be met there with an anointing prayer of one kind or another. Or you may want to come to one of these kneeling benches up front, uh, mourner's benches, places where you can come and pray whatever kind of prayer you want. We won't assume what kind of prayer that you're praying, but we will come and pray with you. At some point, somebody will touch you on the back, the neck, the head, the shoulder, because it's important that you know that you are not alone, and you are not alone. Or you can circle right back around and pray at your seat, and I am quite certain God hears those prayers too. But I would ask that you would pray and perhaps pray this prayer. Pray this prayer. God, remind me when I was sheep 100 <laughs> and you came for me. God, remind me that perhaps I might be the way that you will go look for sheep 100 in my life. Coworker, family member. Enemy, opposite, irritant. <laughs> God might be able, God is willing to use your story to reach somebody else. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. The same way he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. There is a bowl of water here meant for you to use if you need to remember your baptism, who is welcome at this table Everyone who understands their need for grace, no matter the nature of your failure this morning, if you recognize your need for grace, this is the right place for you. Now, all across the sanctuary, if you would stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped because it's grace. And these are the gifts of God provided for the people of God.